What are ways to create an inclusive culture? We'll look at that in our coaching tip for the week. And in our interview segment, we have Richie Kendall, the co-founder and chief experience officer of Good World, a next-gen social impact platform. We hope you enjoy the episode today. And remember, something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. So a lot of the conversations I've been in recently are around creating an inclusive culture. One of the things I talk about with CEOs and executives always starts with, what do I do to create inclusion and belonging now? So traditionally, this conversation has included things like, do I have enough diverse people? Um, Are our numbers good? How are we recruiting diversity? And what I notice about this conversation is it's sort of um, the one-size-fits-all approach and metrics conversation versus a conversation that is really deep about how do you create the culture. So there's a couple places for you to look if you want to create an inclusive culture now. The first is it starts with you. Are you doing your internal work yourself? So are you looking at your limiting beliefs, your blind spots, and are you getting feedback consistently on how you're showing up in the workplace? Second thing is listening. What are your people telling you that they need? So support is different for everyone. And instead of taking a one size fits all approach, we need to actually get in a conversation that meets the individual where they are at. So listening to what your people say they need in terms of support and what they need to feel to belong. The third is building trust over time. This is one of my favorite things that Brene Brown talks about, is that trust is built in small moments every day, and it can be taken away in an instant. So by doing your own work and listening, trust that you are starting to build trust over time. And the last thing is tracking. Do you have a system where you're actually tracking if the culture is changing? Not only an assessment, but some sort of operationalized standards of values or metrics that you can look back a year from today and say, we have truly changed this culture. being with us, Richie, today. I am so excited to have you here. Uh, I'd like to share a little bit about how we met, uh, tell this story, and then, um, you know, we can jump right into to hearing more about you. But shout out to David Homan and Orchestrated Connecting, which is where the networking group that you and I met in. And I remember being put into a breakout room with you on Zoom. And I don't, I don't remember what the question was that we were asked that day, <laughs> but it was something that... Um, was, you know, it's usually a vulnerable question that opens us up. And I just remember how kind you were. Like the room was kind of cold and the other people in the room were, you know, a little bit stilted and you jumped right in and you were so warm and authentic and just had these beautiful thoughts. And uh, from that moment, I was like, yeah, that's a guy I want to get to know. So that's my first memory of you. (laughs) Thanks for being here. That doesn't sound like me at all. No, thank you for for recalling that. I it's now all coming yeah, back to me as well. Moment. That was nice. Um, so one of the reasons I have you here today is well, I just like to hear you talk a little bit about yourself. Like, is there anything that you want to share about who you are? I I'm just another human 
just doing his best to to contribute to those around me and find purpose in my work. And end of the day, you know, I'm I'm using my passions and gifts and trying to develop those to to create a little bit of a better experience here um, while we're here uh, in this life on earth. And it, it's pretty much as simple as that. And I have a lot of really meaningful relationships that help keep me buoyed. And I have some projects and businesses that I've been working on and building that give me a lot of meaning as well. And uh, end of the day, it's all about love, man. Oh my goodness. Well, before we jump into those projects, I've got to pick your brain a little bit about what you just said. Um, I don't know many people that can be so clear on their purpose and um, say it with uh, just kind of this uh, factual nature of like, this is what I'm here to do. And there's, there's a peace and calmness about you. Did you always know this about yourself, that you were like all about love and helping the world? I don't think so. I think there were some moments in my life that helped accelerate that understanding. Um, you know, I don't want to call them revelations necessarily, but I, I lost my dad when I was pretty young, uh, five years old, to colon cancer. And I just think that had a dramatic shift on my mindset as a young person, realizing that we're not we're not here forever. And I was tackling those existential questions very early. So that that sort of hurtled me into exploring my passions, finding my gifts, uh, seeking people around me that that I vibe with and that I can work with to to help make the world a better place and do the things I love. So that's just one event, but I'm sure there's a number of events like that that sort of carried me down the path I've been on. Yeah, those early life events, especially rooted in trauma, right, that uh, allow you to just kind of take a real look at what you're here for in this time in life. No doubt. And I think once you go down that road, it it can be somewhat of a rabbit hole, right? Um, You can explore areas of inquiry, intellectual, spiritual, or otherwise that you would have never gone down. And I think there are paths that some some of us never go down for one reason or another. I happen to just find a lot of meaning and and motivation in learning about other people, history, uh, you know, technology, human evolution, relationships, psychology, a lot of the things that you are also interested in, Elena. So uh, I think just having that natural curiosity on max. Uh, really does uh, help you find meaning, uh, whatever direction you take. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So for for me, what I'm taking away is continue to get curious along the way. Yeah. Oh, that should be our our bumper car sticker. <laughs> I'm looking forward to you making that on one of your cards, which we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> you got it. All right. So tell me a little bit about Cheerful Giving. Um, this was one of your first companies, right? That's right. I'll go back a little bit just so we know how I got there. Uh, I grew up as a studio artist, got into digital quite early, was taking on clients in high school, doing things like brand design and identity work, websites, things like that. So visual arts, marketing, communications, that type of thing. And I picked up a video camera in college and, and that launched me into about an eight-year film career. 
So storytelling, right? Directing, producing, writing, writing, editing, uh, branded content, feature length documentaries. Um, and that really satiated my creative appetite. Um, but I always was moonlighting projects on the side. Uh, I was taking what I was learning in the kind of corporate and production space and giving that away to my smaller clients. So I was doing pro bono work, you know, short films for nonprofit organizations, trying to learn more about their stories. You know, I recall days when I was interviewing soldiers and families uh, who had individuals who, you know, were in war theaters coming back, finding that that kind of storytelling and content was just so it was so it was so awesome to learn about but it was also like touches your heart mm -hmm. um, when you have people that are home raising three young children while their significant other is putting their life on the line and there's this anxiety about losing them and they are having their own traumatic experiences those people coming home um it's just so deeply moving and it, it speaks to the power of our humanity and our bonds and our connection that we put ourselves in those situations to begin with, let alone navigate them together. So it was exploring stories like that, that, that really put me on my professional path and ended up introducing me to a project to create somewhat a, somewhat of a philanthropy app. And I started building that that project as a brand um, and built technology around it, called it Cheerful Giving at the time. And ultimately, ultimately that led to discovering some pretty cool business mousetraps, um, ways to build a business, learn about entrepreneurship and starting businesses from scratch. And you know, a couple of years later, we're acquired by by Good World, which is the company I help lead now. Um, and we're just, uh, we're on our way. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm curious what, um, what had you, what inspired you to create Cheerful Giving? I mean, I heard the story and how you got there, but first of all, the name is amazing. And so is Good World. So both of yeah. these names, uh, you know, invoke feelings of positivity when I read them, but what inspired you? Yeah. You know, I wish I could take credit for everything. I do want to just make sure that the teams that were involved, you know, all get their share of, of credit. Um, ultimately, Cheerful started as as a as a just an app that you could give to your local your local charity or or even church. About seven years ago, Venmo and some of the peer to peer payment platforms were just coming online, and so moving money directly from person to person or entity to entity was was somewhat of a novel trend. And this concept of being able to move money directly from bank account to bank account was also totally new. Now we have Zelle and Cash App and Acorn, Stash, Robinhood, all these different ways you can just move money from your bank accounts to somewhere else. Well, at the time, uh, there was sort of a business opportunity in being able to allow individuals to donate directly through their bank account at a super low cost processing. And the initial investor uh, of that project was was somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, 
And he had some relationships at the Federal Reserve, um, knowing that the ACH bank to bank wave was was coming. And so he just wanted to make some investments early in in building out technology infrastructure. So I was really tasked with putting a face on that and designing a product and experience that could meet a modern consumer where they were. And that was the whole journey was to sort of create an experience for a modern consumer. Got it. And so how did your gift of storytelling support you in creating that? Excellent question. I think <laughs> it's all, all the way. Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, we are just storytelling machines, right? We're, we're, we're walking around telling ourselves stories about ourselves to other people who have their own stories about themselves and how all those stories add up to some larger meta story. Um, all these, all these narratives are, are a way for us to organize ourselves to achieve our, our dreams and goals. And to the extent that we can create cohesion across all of those stories, whether that's over a long historical arc or it's over just a family generational arc, that's what meaning is. I mean, outside of your own personal connection with your God, if you want to call it that, uh, really your meaning is the cogent story you can create for yourself while you're here. That's beautiful. And how is Good World supporting in that now? Because that's now we, we're at the current time period of what you're, you're creating. And what do you see for the world through that lens? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big question. I'll try to contain it. <laughs> we're at a point as a human race where the infrastructural designs we've created are sending us over a series of cliffs. We all, we all know this. Um, we created a inexhaustible appetite for growth on a planet with infinite res- or finite resources. We haven't totally figured out how to create a greater abundance of resources through different regenerative designs, but I kind of liken it to being in a car where you feel like something's chasing you, right? And way back when we were being chased by large prehistoric animals. And so we developed these instincts to get better and better, optimize, optimize, optimize. So once we started organizing organizing ourselves across societies, it was just growth mindset optimization mindset. How can we do something better, faster, stronger? Mm -hmm. When you have limited resources, uh, you're going to suck all the air out of the room really quickly. So we're sort of at a point where we're heading towards this cliff because of the designs we've created. And unless we change the vehicle or the design, like sprout wings or something like that, we're going to go over the cliff. So how storytelling comes into that and how the good world value proposition comes in is we have to prioritize a different story now. It can't be about infinite growth. It can't be about infinite technological optimization. 
in many ways, we should be talking about the things that are now on, on the table, which is sustainability, degrowth, inclusion, love, and our collective humanity, and how we lean into those values now in a way that can rise the tide that lifts all boats. So it's just a matter of changing the story and leaning into that. Ah, oh, that's so good. Such leadership in the world. And what, what's been the most challenging part of this? Uh, you know, you growing this, you know, it's so funny, degrowth to grow growth, right? In good world, like creating something. What's been the most challenging aspect for you? I think end of the day, walking your talk is just a difficult thing to do. Not, not from just the point of view of a, of a brand, but as a person, we all project values into the world. We, we have virtues that, you know, you want to signal to the world that tells people that you're a certain type of person and living those values is the beautiful struggle. Um, and I think if we're all honest with ourselves, you know, we're, we're always a little bit short of who we want to be and who we think we are. So if you zoom out and you put that in the perspective of, let's say, a, a corporation or an organization, you have all the same challenges there. You just have a lot of different people um, contributing to, to, to the cause or the mission of the organization. And so the major challenge is to get organizations walking their talk. And that, that requires somewhat of a reckoning. And it also requires authentic conversations. And I believe that's why our rapport, Elena, has been so compelling and, and instructive is that it's about getting real right now. Mm-hmm. In the moment. And what do you think that that style of leadership that you're modeling, even in your internal culture at Good World, what do you hope it will create? I hope it creates a level of vulnerability and trust uh, and a sense of, of combined purpose and direction that pushes us through hard times and lets us celebrate good times. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You know, having your having your finger in the air, really f- finding where your opportunities are, and and sticking to your integrity and core, and and then running. Mm. It's such. I just have to acknowledge you, Richie, even mid podcasting here, uh, because you are a leader that embodies those values in everywhere you go in every conversation. A lot of the the people that I'm talking to nowadays are talking about embracing a new level of leadership that is more empathic or compassionate. And some people are still even pitting this against like male versus female from an inclusive standpoint and diversity, you know, POC versus a traditionally white structure. And you are really uh, coming from a different place completely and have been for a while. So I just, I really acknowledge your leadership in the world and what it's creating. It's very inspiring. Well, that means a lot. High praise coming from you. Um, You know, I think we're just, we're at a place where our hearts and our minds need to come together 
um, egos need to dissolve across the board. If we're going to be a collective, let's be a collective. You can't pit interests against interests. We can't play more, you know, political games. We can't just measure grievances against one another. We have to be fully present in all of these conversations, privilege aside, because if we can't, if we can't start talking and we can't start moving, uh, nothing will get accomplished. Amen. All right. <laughs> well, how do people uh, find out more about Good World or, or what's the process if a company wants to come work with you? What should they look for? Yeah, you can go to goodworldnow.com today and you can sign up your nonprofit organization to get a whole suite of fundraising tools and infrastructure tools to streamline uh, modern growth. If you're a company, you can come to us, schedule a quick demo, and we'll show you all the different in- tools that you can use to engage your employees and your customers in social impact initiatives. Those might range from payroll giving campaigns to disaster relief campaigns. Uh, we can even let you round up the change on every purchase that you make for causes that are important. Um, most importantly, we enable companies to walk their talk by investing in their customer and employees' values. Uh, one, one example of that would be making a donation that you cut into tiny pieces and give out to your community so that they can decide where those go. Um, you can do all of these things just by coming to our website or, or following us on, on our social channels at Goodwork. So Richie, you have spoken a lot about inclusion and belonging um, as, as one of the ways to building a beautiful future and things we should have our eyes on. So what are you currently invoking in your company culture? Yeah, I think the first place to start is, you know, diversity is not just about skin tone or identity. Um, it's about openness and it's about valuing diverse opinions, backgrounds, um, and ultimately in investing in that diversity. You know, we're a small, lean team uh, founded by a New Zealand female. My co-founder's a veteran. We have good, diverse background across our small team in terms of where folks are from. But that's not really how we measure our belonging. It's not really how we measure who we are. We, we have a culture at the organization which is all about spending one-on-one time with one another, about developing one-on-one relationships across departments. I think, you know, Brene Brown refers to uh, some of these practices as rumbling we make sure that we're kind of checking in with one another on how we can enrich each other's work experience, person to person. So if I'm having a conversation with someone on my team, it's not about, is the company doing X, Y, Z? Do you feel heard in, in the company? It's, it's about, how can I help you become a better person? What, what are the things that bug you about my 
collaborative style that I can work on. And I think this goes back to a dare to lead thing as well, that we do practice like a readiness for giving feedback. Um, and that helps generate a real sense of belonging is, is sort of touched, right? And we make sure that we're not giving unconstructive feedback ever. There is never going to be a time in a meeting where someone is called out for some non-performance, some metric not met, some deadline not met. It's always focused on solutions, what's next, who's accountable. And I think what that does is it makes you feel like you're not alone in your work objectives. That builds belonging. That says, I belong to this conversation. And if I didn't meet some requirement that I felt I was owner of, I have a space that I can feel safe to to communicate that and communicate what I need to get that done. So it's that sense of tribe that a lot of corporate culture, I think, is missing across the board and and why you have that sense of alienation and sort of fraying of bonds within the organization because it's political. It's about OKRs, get this done. You, this person didn't do this. They didn't achieve that. And that creates just an atomized sense of accounts of accountability rather than a an organization, an organizational sense of accountability. It's so beautifully said because what I hear as well, or what I'm interpreting is that it creates a, a trust, which is foundational. And you started it very simply with you. You were the person that's leading everything with how can I be of support with you and what feedback do you have for me, which is not typically where most leaders start. Right? They start with, what do we need to fix? What do we need to add? What can uh, we, they use the proverbial we, change before they start with I? And I just really hear how you lay the foundation where trust can be built slowly over time, which is also part of belonging, right? And feeling like where you are is a, a brave space. I won't say safe, but brave, right? That you can actually bring things to the table, Um and it takes out that, that fear culture, fear of being wrong, fear of not being seen, fear of um, not being heard. Yeah, that's beautifully reflected. Thank you. Yeah, you're really practicing what you preach. So thanks for sharing that. I think it's important for leaders to hear a different way. Well, I think we've heard how you disrupt the world. <laughs> I mean, throughout this whole interview, but I guess my last question for you would be if you had a megaphone that you could shout, you know, something to the, the future for the next year to lead us all there. What's the one thing you would say? I would say, love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm not even a particularly religious person, but at the, at the end of the day, what you reflect out into the world is is a reflection of of you to yourself and to the extent that you can give to others you'll find that come back to you tenfold thank you so much richie this has been incredibly insightful and powerful and uh to listen to and be just have more insight and other ways to think about how we can serve and to get to see more of you thanks for being vulnerable thanks for having me elena 